Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Last week's teaching, we had a glitch where it only got a partial recording, and so I got a couple other people working through the video. They're going to pull that off for me this week, and I promise to get it up. But one of the things that I want to do before, and we'll do a little bit of review, because I actually had a lot of requests, and, and uh, uh, well, a lot. If I have three people say to me, that registers a lot. So about three people said something to me about it. I don't want to speak evangelically. Crowds were waiting to hear that teaching. <laughs> Three's a crowd for me. Uh, and uh, so I'll try and get it up as soon as possible. We're going to make sure this is up. And the reason I'm mentioning it is these, um, something's happening with me with this study that hasn't happened in a long time. And I actually believe in my heart this may be one of the more important aspects of the message of grace that I've been teaching. When God upended my life with a new revelation of grace, one of the things that I understood in how I was responding to him is that my walk was going to get healed in the coming years. That it wasn't going to happen immediately, but that that time by time, season after season, year after year, my walk and my understanding of the grace of God was going to increase and get stronger and stronger. And he, and he sealed that with a, with a physical healing in my foot. And that's how I knew he was going to heal my walk and that it, it would get stronger and better as time went on. And I'm in a new season with this, and it happened just by... Uh, reading the thing from John Lynch. Again, John has so affected my life, and if you haven't read any of his books, get any number of it. Just get one of them. I don't care where you start. If you want to start with a fiction, get Bo's Cafe. And uh, it's a fictional story that lays out really solid principles about the message of grace. Um, and what it has done is brought into, into view for me not only the, the realm of grace is exactly that. It's a realm. But exactly why it takes so long to get my thinking to be different. I want to, I want to change now, don't you? I want, especially when you blow it, right? When you, you're upset and you shoot your mouth off and things come out of there that you, don't know, you didn't know were possible to come out of you. And you're going, what am I going to change? Well, you are changing. There's a realm. And it doesn't always seem immediate, but I tell you what, it was instantaneous. So salvation is a, normally for most people, salvation is a crisis that initiates a process in our lives. And we are saved and being saved daily, Paul said. We're, we're, we're being renewed daily in the spirit of our mind, Peter said. So I want to put back up, whoop, I went one clicker too far. And, and just by way of redo, re, review, do a couple of these definitions. So this is, again, this is from John Lynch. He says, grace, the absolute and unforced favor gained by Christ's death and resurrection. 
allowing God to be completely for us and endlessly in love with us apart from anything we must prove. I have spent the last few weeks just meditating on this and realized how much of my life has spent trying to prove something, either to myself or to others, and most particular, to God. And you, what can we prove to God? But it's, I, I was really in a, in a trap in my thinking that I had to prove to him that I was his kid. I had to prove to him that I was trying really hard and I had to prove to him that it was making, him in my life was making a difference. He's going, kid, I already know that. You're changed. You're really different. I saved you. You're, you're a completely, you're a brand new creation. But I spent a lifetime just working on that. And maybe that's where you've been in it. And then uh, the whole growing up process is just kind of... <sighs> come back into very clear view for me because of this. I don't know how else to explain it, but I, I was telling Brenda uh, just the other night, I grew up, at, because of the abuse and everything, I won't go, most of you know my story, I was terrified of adults. As, as a, even, even as a young man, as a 14-year-old, if you would have put me in a room of, of uh of adults, I would have frozen. I would immediately start doing this with my legs. I had idiosyncratic behavior. I would start doing this. I would, I would try and hide behind my hands. I mean, I was really, like, it really affected me badly because of how I, so that understanding of the growing process has just been so enlightening. So I wish I could, again, I wish I could do this for you. I wish I could pull my chest open so that you could see my soul somehow and get in there because I don't feel like the words that I use are able to communicate the things that God is doing in my life again thank God and maybe you're there with me and if you're not I'm going to pull you along as hard as I can promise so John also says this grace is an actual realm a way of life get that? A way of life in which we no longer strive for acceptance. We mature, heal, and are released into His intentions by trusting that Jesus and all His power is fused into us as spiritual beings creating an entirely new Lloyd. Here I am, world. And as Kierkegaard said, now with God's help I shall become myself. That's really what this is about. And then what I got in touch with through reading this and restudying this and going back to a couple books, and some of it was Brenda redoing, telling each other the truth and getting back into that thing about how the mind gets set. We get set in a pattern of thinking that happens from the time we're little till we're growing now. And most of our mindsets are actually causing us to be conformed to the world. Where Paul beseeched the, the whole church in Romans 12 
to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and not to be conformed to the world in your thinking. And I went, you know what? I don't have like a lot of what I would have called worldly thoughts before, you know. I'm not getting up in the morning wondering if I could rob the Casey's down the street and, and uh, get a little extra money or, you know, go buy another dime bag or, you know, I, I'm, you know, it's, that's not the kind of worldly thinking I'm talking about. Yes, I, I was released from that. But it's also the worldly thinking of how I view where I'm trying to prove something when I don't have to. I don't have to prove anything to you. I am in God. I am a new creation in Christ. And our measurements with each other are basic Christian religion. And that we're actually not called to do that but we're called to know no one after the flesh any longer, but to know them by the Spirit. So that means I have to believe the same God that is renewing my thinking is renewing your thinking. And that that's His good intention in the realm of grace to do that, and where it gets trapped is right here. Because I have mindsets, and mindsets, think of like huge walls that you've built that won't let anybody, just like my fear of adults as a child, won't let anybody, you ain't getting in there. Uh, 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 uh. And so we have a way of thinking that then directs our, our lives. So what is a mindset? It's a core belief. Now, core beliefs are different than all the other things. Now, you know, you may have you know, we're not talking politics or what you believe about the United States or being America. We're talking about your core beliefs, what you know to be true about God, yourself, life, all of those things. And what I found is that it, it really is these things that you hold to be true, they become controlling thought processes and they determine the values that you're going to live your life out of. And they happen from the time, because we, we all grow up in certain ways, and we all have certain foundation things in us, and those work together to build a mindset. And when those mindsets are actually controlling things that cause us to be conformed to the world, that's actually where we need the transformation to come in of the Holy Spirit. That's what we call revelation. That's what happened to me seven years ago when God started speaking to me about grace. A revelation of it came sweeping in. Actually, well, most of you were with me. It just discombobulated me, and I was a mess on the floor up here trying to share it. And half the time I was laughing, the other time I was crying. And I told you all, I feel like I've been born again, again. And I, I, I was. I am. Still. Right now. It's happening. There's three things that make up our mindsets. So think of this. A mindset is a is a way that we think that's set and won't work anywhere else. They come from three things. Core beliefs. These are truths 
that determine the value of your self-existence, your identity and purpose. They're, 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 what you, they're your self-interests. If you believe that you're a fisherman, you're going to want to go fishing. There wasn't one amen out there. What's wrong with all you guys? Should have at least gotten one that I know of. Yeah. What's that, what's that little saying? I'd rather have a guy in a boat on a lake thinking about God than a guy in church thinking about going fishing. So. Determines our self-interest, our personality, your self-protection, your self-preservation. You still have that in you. That's why we're trying to prove something. You still have those things in you. Also come from your life experiences, your family values, what, what you held dear as a family. I, I'm telling you, even if you're old, you still have some values that go back to your, probably if you had grandparents around, your grandma and grandpa. Um, it's also our, your religious values. We, we have a certain set of life experience values around church in America because we live here. Um, they can be painful, joyful experiences that make up your own personal history. They can be crisis and trauma, tragedy in our personal lives that really affect us strongly when we're talking about life experiences. You can experience something that can stay with you all your adult years. If you had a 1,200-pound bull chase you when you were young working on the farm, you don't like cattle today. And just the, the sight of that young calf doing that, you start, it's just, it affects you. Also, the environment. Listen, it really sets some of our, some of our mindsets. The world around us. The culture. If you grew up in a home that uh, uh, believed in unionism and was very pro-union and all that, you have a certain set of mindsets from that environment that control your ideas about work. So it's all these things. It's culture, society, subcultures, ethnicity, worldview, where you grew up, how you grew up. It all affects you, and it becomes a set way in your thinking Till God reveals himself to you and go, and have you had the Lord do this to you? Just in your quiet times go, really? God loves to ask you questions. If you're really hearing your voice, you're going to hear more questions than you are answers. Matter of fact, you'll hear a lot of the time, what do you think? You mean God wants to know what I think? Well, he wants you to know what you think. Jesus didn't change the way he deals with things. Look through the Gospels. He primarily taught by asking people questions and telling them stories. Jesus, decide between my brother and I. Who made me judge over you? Do you know what a huge question that is? He was asking him, do you think I'm God? And that, see, when you really expand the questions, he still asks questions today. If you're really hearing God's voice, you should be hearing a lot of questions. (sighs) 
I want to read a, a sentence to you. This is from William Backus. It is the content of human thinking that makes the difference between misery and happiness. What matters is not the event, but how a person appraises and evaluates the event. What occurs outside him does not make him joyful or wretched, angry or benevolent, peaceful or turbulent. What he believes about the event makes all the difference. This is why mindsets are so deeply entrenching, even in our Christian views. Um, It's why we become angry doctrinally, why we want to argue and debate with somebody. So what if they have a different view of you? They're a heretic. Really? Do you think we should, like, hang them? Or maybe, you know, tar and feather them? Or run them out of town? How dare they think something differently than us? These mindsets get in our way. And uh, I don't know, I had, like, Marilyn was talking to me about Jesus telling us to love our enemies. You go, what? Like, like, you, you, you don't mean those extremists that are, what? Kind of pokes at some of our beliefs, doesn't it? I'll tell you what, it's really hard to love Kathy Griffin right now. If any of us watching the news. I don't want to love her. Leave America. Go to Antarctica. Live with penguins. See how you like them. See if you can hold a picture of one of them. I'm sorry, I'm not loving my enemies. Not that she's my enemy. What it is is when our mindsets get set a certain way, those become, again, this is William Backus language, those become a misbelief. That means, and I talked about this last week, they're not true, but you hold them to be true. If there's any issue in the church that I see today, it is this issue of misbelief. Not unbelief, misbelief. We hold on to things that may not be so. I did. I know this. I am this. I want to say I was that, but I'm sure that as my life unfolds, I'm going to find more things as I become a tender, seasoned old steak (laughs) that I will let go more and more and go, yeah, I'm I'm probably not that hard on that stuff anymore. Um, And I'm not just like getting easy. But man, misbelief, it's something that you hold to be true. That it's in, and it's especially this, that becomes in conflict, and this is what I find most disturbing, with the character and nature of God and His Word. God and His Word are true truth. They are true truth. You can twist them into a misbelief. Misbeliefs are mindsets that we can have that do not have a base in true truth. Especially that. Or they can twist it. And uh, what really happens with that is it begins to control 
not just our view of God, it begins to control our life. It will determine your daily activity. Um, it'll, it'll look like little things like this, and, and we'll lay this. We're just like Pharisees. We're really good at this. Thane, did you have a devotional time this morning? You didn't? Thane, would you like to repent? He's saying no. <laughs> yes. So all of us, in our kindness and love for our brother, are not going to pray for him that he will have a daily devotional time of 45 minutes consisting of 15 minutes of uninterrupted, spontaneous worship songs sent to you by... Do you see our mindsets? It can become controlling over how we feel about ourselves, our relationship to God, and that if you don't have that, you're not going to have the equation right. He'll still love you and bless you, but he's probably not going to fellowship with you this week. Now, see, here's the mindset. Now, I'm using extremes, and I want you to see this for a reason. The reason I'm using extremes, because we don't really talk that way but we do live that way. And unfortunately, too much I've heard taught that way or preached that way, but we do it with each other too. But here's where it becomes really painful, when we do it with ourselves, my inner voice, where the real mindset is. And then I begin to evaluate. Remember the evaluation thing. I start to evaluate and I have to prove. And when I don't line up with that proof, then I am less than. I haven't gotten where God wants me. I tell you what, God's got you right where he wants you. You're here. And I like that part. Well, as I studied this, I went, how do we get... How do we get what are the really controlling mindsets? And so that, this is the part I'm really excited about. Um, not that I like to look at it anymore, but you see, I want to talk about one of the primary mindsets that really hinder us walking and understanding the realm of grace, and it's this. I'm going to call it the orphan mentality. It's a mindset. It, it, it gets right... Oh, it gets right in there, and we don't recognize it because we're so familiar with it. Well, I'm not an orphan. No, but you acted like one. How do you know? Because I was one. I am one. The orphan mindset or the orphan mentality is one that has its base in fatherlessness. started in the Garden of Eden with the fall from grace, a family relationship and the first sin, the original sin issue. In Adam, relationship was based on being a child of God. He deeply knew God as Father. Deeply. And was lost. When they fell, he became fatherless. And you see his orphan mentality, both he and Eve, immediately they run and hide. 
Remember me talking about being scared of adults? You're not sure whether you got, how you're going to prove to God you're okay. First of all, don't let him see me naked. Naked, not naked. I'm talking like I'm from Belton. It's her fault. She does it all the time. I'm from Cass County. Actually, it's not that disturbing. But... You, you watch, if you just go back, look, for the sake of time, I won't take you there. You go to this story of Adam and Eve, and you immediately, from the time they sin, you start seeing the fatherlessness, the, the mentality of an orphan coming in. Instead of being living a life based on trusting God and their true identity, they start becoming self-serving, self-protecting, self-providing. All of that is an orphan mindset. Glorious thing about Jesus is He actually came to restore the father-son relationship to human beings that he knew that he always owned and that he always created us to be that way also. He and the Father were always one. He always had, he always related to God within himself as Father. And the Father always related to the Savior as his Son. It's interesting, as you look at, as I, as I began to dig through this study and going through the scriptures, prior to the arrival of Jesus, God is not referred to in scripture as the Father. Doesn't that surprise you? We're so familiar with the language from the new covenant and the way we pray and our Christianity and our core beliefs and all that stuff, we just automatically think of God as Father, but that was not true. Except in prophecy pointing towards Jesus coming. We get the Isaiah prophecy. Unto you a child given, unto you a son is born, and his name shall be called. And you eventually get to everlasting Father. So you find this in the Old Testament And here's the other thing that you find at the same time that occurs, the idea of genealogy and tracing back your family roots to the begets. You ever ever look at that one, you know, and -and so-and-so begets so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, but I'm going to prove to God that I'm going to read my Bible in a whole year, so I'm going to read this anyway, and I just got lost in all the begets. And he beget, and he beget, and he beget, and he beget, Why was that so important to them? Fatherlessness. They were doing their identity out of an orphan mentality. So they were relating to something that they knew to try and understand something that they did not. They were using their earthly parent, their earthly fathers, to try and find out what God was like. And you see that pattern over and over and over again. Um, The identification, the importance of it, the drive by all the Israelites to be identified by their earthly fathers. They they even took things very strangely. So you, you have Moses at the burning bush. If you can just hang with me here a little bit. It's really fascinating. I mean, I've been looking at this going, whoa! 
This is good stuff. So Moses at the burning bush, and God identifies himself, I am that I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. What do they hear and what do they emphasize? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't go, what? You're, you, you're their God? They relate it back to and they start identifying themselves with Father Abraham. When Jesus comes, that was the big argument. He starts telling them about his relationship to the Father. They start telling him, we're children of Abraham. He says, no, you're not. You're of your father. <laughs> Don't you know a couple of them had to be going, what? Kind of, because they're trying to prove something. So we see Jesus really arriving on, in, in John 1, when he arrives on the scene. The law came by Moses. By the way, the law comes out of an orphan mentality. The law is not wrong. The law is right, pure, all those things. But the orphan mentality uses it to prove something. i got to prove to God that I can do this. That wasn't the intent of the law. It was not to prove anything to God. Are you following me? It's really interesting how this gets in here. So he brings, says Jesus brings truth and grace. And in the face of the Pharisees, who are the teachers of the law, he declares God as Father, and not just for himself. And it's early in his ministry, he starts declaring it for everybody else. And find it throughout his, his, uh, what's known as the Olivet Discourse, or the Mount of Olives Discourse. Jesus starts declaring, it's so interesting, Jesus comes and declares two things. He declares the nature of the Father, because they're orphans, they're not connected to what the Father, who the Father is, and he starts declaring his Father's kingdom, the realm. He starts declaring those two things to him. So much so that even when, when they say, well, teach us how to pray then. So he says, pray in this manner. You remember Matthew 6, 9? What does he say? Pray in this manner. Stop. What? Personal, possessive pronoun? Our Father? You didn't say Father when you were talking about God. You might say Adonai. Uh, you didn't even do, use the one we call it today, Yahweh. Uh, that, that was so holy you didn't even write it. You didn't use these kinds of relational terms. And Jesus, can you imagine? See, we're so familiar with it today, just to use the term Father. It had to have shaken them right down to their core beliefs, and that's what it did. He makes himself out to be the Son of God. Kill him. Instead of hearing it, he makes us out to be the children of God. Praise God he has sent a Savior. See how the orphan mindset turns it into legalism? Pointing the finger? 
wants to destroy things. It's right there. It's just so, so deeply clear. Paul Ellis, in his writings, I love the way he says this. He says, actually, Father is the Christian name for God. Because prior to that, it was never used regarding God. Why? Because of this. In Adam, we became fatherless. In Christ, we become sons and daughters. What Adam lost, Christ restored. Through Adam, you and I became orphans. No, I'm not. Yeah, you have an orphan mindset. How do you know? Because I'm you. And I know this in the natural, and I know it in the spiritual. I don't wear it as a badge of honor. In some ways, like I was, again, talking with Marilyn earlier, there's some things I've been relieved of in being a natural orphan in that I don't have to deal with adult parents. Because everybody that I know in my generation seems to have a hassle with it. Uh, maybe some of you had a wonderful relationship with your mom and dad, and you really miss them, and I, I understand that. Well, oh, my gosh. I hope my kids won't feel that way. <laughs> I want them crying in their cereal every morning. Dad's gone. No, I don't. I want them to rejoice that I'm in heaven. But I definitely don't want them to have the orphan mindset. And if there's things that I would have changed about teaching my kids growing up, I wish I would have known this. Here's characteristics of an orphan mentality. Self-serving, self-protecting. Orphans manipulate and control. They have to, to survive. It will do whatever it takes to survive and get ahead. Have things in them like, I'm not worthy. Does that sound familiar at all? If I really got into your space this morning, I won't do it. If I really got into your space and talked about your worthiness, how many of you would have to look down in the ground instead of looking me in the eye? If I started declaring your worth from God the Father's standpoint, would you keep looking at me deep into my eyes? She would. (laughs) Many, many, many people I know start doing this. You know what that is? That's an orphan. That's Mephibosheth. You know the story of Mephibosheth? His shame over his identity. His father was the king. It died. He, he was a prince. David goes to restore something because David understands the whole principle. It's such a spirit of adoption. He goes to Mephibosheth. And says, I want you to come and sit and eat at my table the rest of your life. You know what his response is? Am I a dog? You hear that? Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? It's an orphan mentality. I'm worthless. I'm no good. Don't measure up. Don't know who my dad is. 
get, it gets in us. I'm all alone. You're abandoned if you're an orphan. It's part of the mindset. But the all alone means I got to make it all alone too. I definitely got something to prove now. I don't deserve. It's funny. Christians will tell everybody else what they should get in the promises of God, but they're deeply afraid and wounded to say it about themselves. I will tell you, oh, daughter, you are just incredible. You're one of the best encouragers we have in the church. There's very few women like you. You've helped me through the years. You have no idea in the emails that you sent and when they came and the timing of God. But you see, if I say that about me, I don't believe it. Why? I have a mindset. It's got a script right here. And it keeps us from believing. And when it keeps us from believing, it keeps us from receiving. You will never receive what you don't believe. I don't really belong. We've seen this through the church forever. It's always the three guys that are up here in their offices. But not me. And yet, when we started this whole thing, remember from 1 Peter 4, if we've received Christ, we're to speak as the oracles of God, displaying the manifold grace of God to each other. Lloyd, help me. How do I get out of that? Oh, you're going to hear me use a word that you hardly ever hear me use. Repent! Quickly! Now! What do you mean, repent? Go to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Get The true repentance, remember, is metanoia, to have your thinking completely changed. See, start putting Jonathan Helser's song on there. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. No longer a slave to these things. You start taking authority over the way we think. Remember what I said about the thinking part. It's not the situations you're in that are binding you up. It's what you're thinking about the situation that binds you up. Well, I really deserve that chewing out today. Or just the other way with your boss. How dare he? I never do anything wrong. It's, all, it's mindsets. So it's things we do. And we can learn to break them, and I'm running out of time. It's what I was afraid of. Um, let me just read you one more thing. This is from Dudley. Uh, Dudley Hall. Sorry, I almost said Dudley Moore, and I went, he's an actor. Wasn't he drunk or something? So he uses this word, instead of an orphan mentality, he uses the word orphanic. It's a made-up word. He made it up. He fully admits it. But he says this, in an orphanic world, success is measured by symbols that speak of achievement, affirmation, and affection. 
Riches, titles, trophies, toys, memorials, and the resumes filled the lives of those who pursue success. And ambition, aggression, commitment, and communication skills are the way to succeed. In a phrase, we learn how to work the world's system. That's being conformed to the world. See, we think it's about, we've been taught, don't be conformed to the world meant sins. This this isn't about sinning. This is about mindsets and how you see yourself operating in this life. Not about your sinful behavior, though it may include that. This is about a mindset of how you see you as a child of God. So I'm going to do a confession before you. (sighs) Father, I just want to tell you today how delightful it is to be your kid, to be your son, the one that you love. How wonderful the things are that you've given me, an incredible wife and family. You're just awesome, God. And I want to thank you for the way you made me. I want to thank you that your word says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to thank you that you put that weird way of thinking that I have inside of me. I really like it that you made me unique. I really like it that I'm special before you. I really like it that you've chosen me to affect others' lives. And I really want you to bless that more and more and more. Give me more opportunities to share who I am with other people. Knowing that you're going to do that this day because your delight is over me and you are so for me this day, I'm going to have the best day ever in Jesus' name. There's my confession. What if there was a group of people that started doing that? What if there was a people that started believing that? What if there's two or three of us that will agree about it and how it'll change our families and our views, how we relate to others in simple ways when we go to Walmart? I love Walmart. Not because you can get everything there, but I I just like... It's just like Walmart's full of people. All walks of life. Start doing this when you go to Walmart. As a son or daughter of God, hold the door open for other people. Not to do it to get or to get the recognition or anything, but just out of kindness, as a son or daughter of God, hold the door open for them. You really want to get blessed and move in it, pay for their groceries. So much fun. And you, oh, you'll see them move into orphan mentality right away. No, 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 no. Uh-uh, you can't pay, uh-uh. And then see them choke up with tears when they know they're not going to stop you. Doesn't this sound like God? Stand with me this morning.
Do you want to look more at this about how to break the orphan mentality? Because there's a couple of key things to do. One of them was the confession thing that I just did with you. The other one, we'll get into it when I get back from vacation. Get into this. It, it's, it's, not, it's not just the idea about confession, but it's literally this. Taking authority over our thoughts, but not the way that you were taught. Taking them captive to the obedience of Christ. Not to Christ, of Christ. Because you can do that. This isn't hard. This isn't like something you have to prove. It'll change the way you think. You'll, you'll put on a new mentality. Man, if we, have, if we have a church that people walk in the true identity as a son or daughter, if our children get this, oh my gosh. Come on, we're, we won. And really lift our hands and say, yeah, without anything to prove. We won. We got it to our kids. Pray with me. Jesus, I pray for everybody's mind right now, where their thoughts are going, their own self-views, and, and the lies of the wicked one that can get wrapped around those thoughts. I say no to that. I say yes to the protection of the Holy Spirit, and that your will, O oh God, is stronger than the will of demons. Your will, O oh God, is stronger than the will of culture. Your will, O oh God, is stronger than the will of ours. So your kingdom come, your will be done in our thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you love